Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. As a child, I was confident that one day I would be rich. And I remember I spoke to my mom, I think I spoke to her when I was seven or eight years old. I said, Mom, when I get old, when I get older, uh, I'm going to have a lot of money. And I remember my mom kind of laughed it off and she said, oh, sweetheart, I hope you do. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm going to be rich. And I remember at a young age, I was confident. I, I felt it. I, I firmly believed that one day uh, I would be rich. And I've come to realize my feelings lied to me. But I, I, I believed I would be rich one day. Any, any mega rich people in here today? Any like you're a mega? But can we have lunch afterwards? Because I have this problem. See, it's a physical problem. I don't tell a lot of people about it. But at night... I am attached to a machine that keeps me alive, the refrigerator, but still, it's still a machine. See, I think what's interesting is that we actually have a lot of people here today that are rich, and we don't realize that we are rich. See, the problem is, is that rich is a moving target. When I was 16, uh, I worked at Taco Bell. Any Taco Bell alumni here? Anybody worked at Taco Bell? Yeah, a few of us. When I was 16, I worked at Taco Bell. Back then, it was $3.55 an hour, and after working there a year, my manager, uh, was name was Michelle, and she came in, and she said, well, you put in a great year of work, and, and because of your hard work and your dedication, I put into corporate uh, for a nickel raise. And I remember thinking, I'm working 20 hours a week. Thanks for the dollar. Now, I kind of had an attitude. I was like, well, now I can afford that car I've been saving for, right? And so I left Taco Bell. I went to work for um, the Drug Emporium making $4.05. And I remember, even at that age, thinking, if I can ever make between twenty dollars and $25,000 a year, I'll be rich, right? And so about 18, I was working at Sears Automotive selling tires and batteries. And I remember I made about $21,000. And to my surprise, I didn't feel rich. And then I thought to myself, if I can ever make $40,000 a year, I will have arrived, and, and I, will, I, I will be rich. And, and about 22 years old, I was working at Mercedes Writing Service, and I made $40,000 a year. And to my surprise, rich was nowhere to be found. And so then I, I thought, I thought if, if, if I could just make a little bit more, but then something happened that changed my financial future. I said two words that changed the rest of my life. I do, right? Those are two words that changed my financial situation. And then I do became we do. We had children. And, and I remember thinking, if I could ever make $60,000 a year, then we would be set for life and we would be relatively rich. And about 25 years old, I made just under 60000 And to my surprise, rich had packed up and moved a little further away again. It's like whenever I thought I got close to rich, rich kept, kept, kept moving. And it, it's interesting that rich, is, it, it seems like it's obtainable, but whenever you think you're finally going to get your hands on rich, rich is, is always moving out of, out of sight. There was a Gallup poll that reinforce something that I learned, that rich is a moving target. A Gallup poll asked people making 30000 or less, how much would it take for you to feel rich? And they said, if we could make about $75,000, we would feel rich. 
And then that same poll asked people making about $50,000 a year, said, how much would it take for you to feel rich? And people making $50,000 said, if, if we could make about 100000 then we would feel rich. And then they asked somebody who was making $2 million, and they asked, Are, do, do you feel rich? And they said, I, I don't feel rich, but if I could make about $5 million, then I would feel rich. See, rich was always just a little further down the road, about double your income away. And once you arrive at that location that you thought you would be rich, rich was nowhere to be found. Because there's this word that we associate with money, and it's the word more. And we think that more money is going to bring us a better quality of life, that more will solve some of my problems or most of them, that more will make me happy. And we've lived under this, this word more associated with our money our entire lives. And if we're honest, it has let us down every time. Because every time we get more, for whatever reason, we spend more and more has moved away from us. And so maybe today, maybe we need a new word that we associate with our assets. Maybe the word isn't more, but maybe the word is manage. And so let's kind of just break that down a little bit as we see what God has for us today. Now I have good news and I have bad news for you. Who's give me the good news first type people? Anybody good news first? Who's the bad news first type people? That's yeah, always the bad news. First. I'm a good news person first because I think if I hear the bad news first, I don't know what will happen between the bad news and the good news. I may die and never hear the good news. So I always want the good news. So I'm going to give you the good news first. Here's the good news. The good news is that we are rich. We are rich. Now listen, if you make $32,400 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners on the planet today. Think about that. If you make just over thirty. $32,000, you are in the top 1% of wage earners on the planet. You should walk out of here with your chest puffed up today. You should go into the restaurant. Don't wait to be seated. Just say, do you know who I am? I will tell you where I want to be seated. 1% coming through. Let me, let me, let me show you how, how rich we are, okay? I'm going to show you. We're so rich that we send our children to schools that actually have desks and books, and a cafeteria that feeds them lunch. Now, it's debatable whether it's a good lunch, but they, they, they feed them lunch. We're so rich that, that when we went to the bathroom today, there was this little silver attachment that when we push on it, it takes our stuff away from us. <laughs> and it doesn't dump it into the street like it does in India if you ever go with us, Right? We were in India coming back from the Taj on a trip, and we went into a restaurant, and there was a urinal on the wall, and I thought, anytime there's an American uh, uh, toilet, that's a good thing, and I was using it, and it's hot there, and you're in flip-flops and, and shorts, and I'm using it, and, and I start to feel this, you know, drips all over my feet, and I look down, and although they had the toilet, there was no plumbing. It was just an empty hole. It's like you, had, you were halfway there, but perhaps you missed the most important part. It went nowhere except on me. But we're so rich that we flush it and it goes away and we don't even know where it goes, but we just know we don't see it anymore. Many of us are so rich, we put our kids in extracurricular activities like soccer and football and dance. And This morning, if you chose to, you had breakfast. And then 
when you leave here, many of us are going to go out for lunch, or maybe you're going to go home and you're going to have lunch, and between lunch and dinner, you're going to have a snack because you're that rich. And this past summer, we ran something called air conditioning, and and this morning, you dressed yourself, and most likely, you did not put on clothing that you have worn three days in a row, unless you're a teenager, (laughs) because we are that rich. Now, here's the thing, is we're rich, but we don't feel rich. Or we complain about not having enough while watching cable TV, eating a pizza that was ordered on a cell phone. See, we are rich. Ask the majority of the world what it looks like to be rich, and here's some of what they would say. They would say, there are people in the world, we haven't met them, but we hear that there are people in the world who are so rich that they actually own a car. That puts you in the, in the top 6 to 8% of the, of the world only owns a car. And then they would say, and then we actually hear that some people are so rich they own two cars. And some of them own two cars and a toy. We can't fathom why you would ever need two cars, but we hear there are people who, are, who own two cars. And they would say that, that there are people out there who are so rich that they actually, we hear that they have a house for their car. They call it this thing called a garage, and it's a house to keep their car out of the elements, and they pull their car. Sometimes they have a three-car garage, and they pull their car into a house when most of the world doesn't have a house to live in, but they pull their car into a house. And some people can't get their car into their house because they have so much extra stuff that that fills the garage, and the cars have to stay outside. They would say there are people who are so rich that they rent a separate house just to put their excess stuff in that they never see or ever use. They would say, we have heard that there are people who who are, 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 are so rich, we haven't met them, but there are some people who are so rich that, that they throw food out. Perfectly good food. It's not burnt, it hasn't gone bad, it's not spoiled. They just don't want to eat it the next day, and so they just throw it away. They may say, we have a hard time believing this, but we hear there are people who are so rich that they have a special house for their clothing. It's called a closet, and it's a special house that just their clothing goes into, and sometimes there's a a special house for the man and a special house for the women and sometimes they complain that this house for their clothing isn't big enough and they go into this house and they look at the the clothing packed from wall to wall and they stare at this and say I don't have a thing to wear (laughs) see we are rich and the problem isn't that we're not rich the problem is is that we're never satisfied And so we continue to try to get rich instead of recognizing that we are rich. Unless we recognize that we are rich, we will never learn how to be rich in a way that honors God. The good news for you, for me today, is that we are rich. The bad news is that we are rich. The good news is we're rich, and the bad news is that we are rich. And Jesus tells us that being rich can be one of the greatest spiritual challenges we face. He was having a conversation with a man that we know little about, except that he was young, he was rich, and he was influential. And this man approached Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to have you? I've been following, I've been watching, and I want what, what, what you're about. And what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus begins the conversation with him. He says, you know the commandments. 
You shall not commit adultery, and you shall not murder, and you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All of these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, this isn't something Jesus is requiring from all of us. He, he, he kind of put his finger on what controlled this man's heart. And he said, look, I, I know that, that, that you want me, but if you're going to come after me, then I need to be first. And you and I both know that's what's first in your life right now is your material possessions. Listen to how he concludes this. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. That we like to think that we own our wealth, but Jesus is saying that there are times when your wealth owns you. I know we like to think that we own it, but there are times that it actually owns us, that it holds the mind hostage and it consumes our thoughts and it robs and manipulates our time and we trust in riches over God and it distracts us from our true priorities. And Jesus says, how difficult is it because of your wealth to to embrace the things of God because you think you own it, but in reality, it might just own you. So critical is this idea that Jesus frequently weighed in on this topic of money. He said, if you're not careful, and if you don't manage your money, your, ma- your money is going to manage you. In other words, he was saying that it will run your life, it will rule your emotions, it will even hinder relationships, and in the end, you will forfeit peace of mind and submit yourself to a way and a pace of life that is not sustainable. Here's how he said it in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now at this point we say, well, this all seems to make sense, Jesus. Yes, we agree, we're in favor of this, we understand you can't, you can't split your devotion up. And then Jesus says, and you cannot serve, go to that next verse, you cannot serve God and money. And this would be the time that we would say, poor Jesus so naive and so out of touch with reality that he actually brought up God and money. Jesus, if you wanted to, 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 to stay on target, you would have said you can't serve God and flesh or God and yourself or, or, or you know, God in, in you know, uh, lustful ways. And, and yet, Jesus, you bring up this idea with money, and it's not what anyone was expecting, this idea of God and money. You can't serve God and your stuff is not what we were expecting here. And Jesus gives us this warning. If you're not careful, your desire to acquire more will be your master. Here's a desire to acquire assessment a little bit here. Ask yourself this. Do I pursue generosity as intently as I pursue money or more stuff? Do I scheme to find ways to make the payments work? If you've ever said to yourself, you know, if we stop feeding the kids three meals a day, that might be a problem. Or do I excessively guard and protect my stuff? Do I worry about what other people think about my stuff? 
Has my desire for more caused me to do something I would later regret or make a purchase I would later regret? And Jesus says, in that moment that your desire for more caused you to do something that you would later regret and caused you to do something that looking back you knew wasn't a good decision, Jesus said, in that moment, your desire to acquire stuff has mastered you. And not only has it mastered you once, but every time you make that payment when you can't afford it, it masters you every month over and over again. And some of us know that feeling all too well, myself included. I've been there. Stretched a little bit because he just you know, felt good and what, hey, I'm going to look cool driving in this. And you know all the things that you play in your head and then all of a sudden six months in and you're stroking another check and you're thinking, how, how am I, how am I going to pay for this thing? And Jesus said, it has mastered you. Jesus knew something about us. That the main competition for my heart is going to be my stuff. The main competition for my heart is going to be money. And so strong is its pull that it will lead me into into decisions that will actually undermine the very life that I want for myself. Because that pull is going to be that strong. And in doing so, Jesus says, it becomes your master and you are put into bondage to the very thing that you thought would make you happy. God had some harsh words for the people of Israel who were in bondage to their stuff. And he asked this, he said, Will a man rob me? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how do we rob you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse in the whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Now listen, if you're not a tithe person, a tithe means a tenth. And if you're like, well, that was Old Testament, and I don't believe in the tithe, and that's a topic for another day, and we can argue about that, and we can, we can talk about that. I think the reason why we're so opposed to the, the, the tithe is exactly what Jesus said, is because money has become our master, and anytime the idea of giving some of that away, we'll buck up against it and say, no, it's wrong. But the principle here, regardless of what you think about that, that 10%, the principle here is that God is saying, there's something that I gave you that belongs to me and you didn't give it back and you robbed me. Into this situation, God says, you are robbing me. All right, I'm gonna need a couple volunteers and uh, don't, come on, you two come up, that'd be great. Uh, I need one, Benny, will you come up? You don't have to say anything, come on, come on. I promise it'll be easy for you. It'll be easy for you. All right, come over here. You can come up too. It's better with both. All right, so here's what we need. Uh, I, I need you, Benny. You're going to be bank. And Josh, you're going to be person number one. All right, now he, he, here's, here's what this looks like. Let's say that Josh worked really hard and uh, Josh uh, was saving money and Josh put away $1,000. That's a cool thousand cash nobody let him leave with that money all right that's legit that's a thousand and you could run way faster than me i promise you all right and and now uh you decide that that you're going to take that thousand and you're going to put that money into the bank and so you come to benny the banker and you give a thousand dollars to the bank go ahead and take the thousand dollars and don't put it in your wallet <laughs> it takes a thousand and you're going to put that in the cash drawer so whatever that cash drawer is put that money away now now what happened is uh i'm gonna watch where you put it exactly is 
Person number one, that's all you get in, our, in our, our cast, is your person number one. You gave the money to the bank, but it's not the bank's money, right? The bank's just holding the money for Josh. It's, 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 it's his money. And, and so all of a sudden, uh, uh, you decide, well, actually, your wife decides that you need a bedroom set for the children. And, and she says, hey, the kids need a bedroom set. And you try to convince her, well, what the kids really need is a new 65-inch television. That's, that's what the kids need. But in true life, you lose that argument, just like in true life. And so you decide to go back to the banker, and you're going to ask for your money back because you're going to buy the kids. And so you come to the banker, and you say, Mr. Banker, can I have my money? And the banker says, well, we got a little problem, see? See, bonuses were really light this year, and, and uh, well, the kids needed braces. And, well, actually, we took a vacation with your money. It was the best vacation we've ever had. I got pictures if you want to see it. And, and, and he took your money. Actually, what he did is he stole your money. And he would be furious, right? Because they entered into a fiduciary trust. There was an agreement that if I give you this money, I'm going to get that money back upon my request, right? He would have failed in his responsibility. Now let's change the players. Flip your signs over. Let me have that money there. This is what it it really looks like. See, Josh actually represents God. You can take that money back. Hopefully you didn't wake up actually thinking you were God today. But but (laughs) Josh represents God and Benny represents any Christian who is following Christ. And what this actually looks like is God comes and says, I'm going to give you $1,000, Benny. And, and, but, but understand something, this isn't your money. right? Look at the passage up here. Go ahead and put that up. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in the world, right? Everybody who lives in it, everything is mine. And so God says, Benny, I'm, I'm going to give you this, but you need to understand something. It's not yours. You're just going to be a steward of it. And we don't talk a lot about, about being a steward, but a steward is, is, you got that next slide there? I'm off note, so hopefully we'll, uh, no, go back. Uh, yeah, just stay, stay with that. A steward is someone who manages someone else's financial affairs. And so what God is saying to Benny is you're going to be a steward. I'm giving you this money, but it's still mine. Now, if God comes to Benny, and this is what he was talking to the nation of Israel, he says, if God comes to Benny and says, Benny, where's my money? Or where's the tenth of the tithe and offering that I've asked you to give back to me? And Benny would say, we took the best vacation, God. It was awesome. God would say, Benny, you have robbed me. You have taken what was mine. We had an agreement right? If you're following me, everything is supposed to be mine. And so I gave you what was mine for you to be a steward of it. And now when I'm asking for it back or asking you to be generous with it, you have nothing to give and you have robbed me. Let me see that money. Give these guys a round of applause. Now hold on, I got something for you. Let me just throw that down. I got something for you because you were here. There's a hundred. Yep, there's a dollar. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good, good rest of the time. Sorry, Benny, I only had one dollar. So God says, look, why are you robbing me? Right? I, I've given you what was mine, and you are to be a steward of it. Now listen, here, here, here's, here's, here's ultimately what he says. As a reminder as to who owns the stuff, I'm asking that you give a 10%, 10%, a tithe back to me. 
Now, if you don't like the tithe and you're going to say, I was Old Testament, then look in the New Testament. You can make a strong case that a tithe was the minimum. He says, in a way of reminding you who owns the stuff, I'm going to ask that you be generous in your giving because it reminds you that you don't own it. Go to that next slide. Generous giving. Sorry, go back. I'm, I'm off. Generous giving serves as a reminder of who ultimately owns the stuff. And this is, the, this is possibly the greatest benefit of generous giving is I'm reminded I don't own it, that I'm just a steward of what God has given me. And if I'm a Christ follower and I proclaim that he owns it all, then he owns it all. But if I'm keeping it on to myself, God says, you are in fact, yes, you're robbing me of what is rightfully mine. Let's close with this. We are rich. And really, it's not that we have, or the reason that we have a giving problem is because we have a spending problem. And if you know me, you know I don't, I don't come hard at you like this, but I'm going to drop this next part on you. And we don't talk about money a whole lot as a church in over nine years. It's, you know, it's probably been three series over nine years that we've done. The reason why some of us can't tithe is because we're driving our tithe. And the reason why some of us can't tithe is because we're living in our tithe. And every time we get a little bit more, we, we, we kind of extend ourselves a little bit more. And we're always living on the margin. And so now when all of a sudden God says, hey, it's time for you to be generous. We're so far on the margins. We're like, God, how am I supposed to do it? And God says, the reason you can't do it is because you've been living like you own it all. And you were never supposed to live in such a way. Like it all belonged to you. There is a freedom that comes. Younger people, the earlier you can live, learn to step away and live within margins instead of all the way to the edge, your life will be so much better for it. And this is coming from us older people who have lived and anguished on how do I pay the bills? Is it the car payment or is it the kid's medication? And, and all of those things that come with it, you will be far better off for it. Those India kids, go ahead and put that image up again, Chris, that first one. Those India children, that happens because of your generosity. We pay the rent for the school, we buy the computers, we pay for the teachers, we pay for the curriculum. This isn't some parent organization that we just give money to. We started it, we fund it, we do it, right? The eight schools that we're in, we didn't just join another organization. It's all us. This doesn't happen without your generosity. But let me tell you the other half of it. Look around you. We're not in Valley Vista anymore. Right? We made the decision that we need a permanent location. And so when you come in, there's an overhead and expenses are stretched. And I told you going into this, some of you are new, you weren't around, but I told our church going into this, we cannot step into this and be church poor. Meaning that we have a great building, but go back to that image, but the kids and the ministry suffer both internationally and locally. That's not what we're about as a church. And so what that means is that you need to wrestle with who is your master. Who masters you? 
Because either you will master your money or your money will master you. And it's true for every one of us. Let's pray. So church, listen, uh, before we pray. You know, even if you're not a follower of Christ, Jesus dropped some wisdom on us here, right? Even if you're not a Christ follower, there's wisdom in this. It's one of the things I love about the teachings of Jesus. They just make sense. Now, as Christ followers, how much weightier are the words of our Savior when he speaks these things over us? Lord, today, we want to be pleasing to you in all areas of life. And we talk a lot about submitting our lives and submitting our futures. And if we're honest, the, the, for many of us, the most difficult area to submit is our finances. And the idea of parting with money is painful and, and causes anxiety. And for some, it causes anger. And if we're here today, God, and some of us are angry, would you ask us why? Would you begin to teach us about being generous? And would you teach us about not allowing our money to master us and our stuff to master us? Would we begin to be strangely content with less that we would be able to sow into things of eternal value and eternal weight? And this isn't a one-time decision. This is a lifestyle that needs to be structured and practiced. But there is freedom in living within margins and giving ourselves breathing room. This week, as we enter into Thanksgiving, remind us of all the reasons that we have to be thankful. And the majority of those reasons were not purchased in a box store. Would we be reminded about what really matters? Would we be people who give thanks this week and every week? And would we become strangely content with whatever you have placed in our hands? And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So church, we'll have one more topic on this, and then we'll move on to a Christmas topic. We'll have some fun with it next week, I promise you. And I look forward to seeing you back. Um, Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you're traveling, please be safe. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll have some people who would love to pray for you about anything going on in life. Bless you.